You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. So this morning we're going to jump straight into it like normal. Um, so we're going to continue the series in Hebrews that we've been doing. And we're up to Hebrews chapter 2. So just a bit of a recap of what we've sort of looked at so far. Hebrews chapter 1, we saw, saw the author really magnifying Christ over over the ways of old and, and started to prove a case and build a case that um, Christ was far better than the ways of old, the old laws. Um, we're seeing him compare Christ to angels and that Christ is far superior to angels. So bringing us into chapter 2, we're going to try and get through the whole chapter today. We're going to attempt to, I should say. Um, there's so much in it, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how we go. Um, so if you missed any of the series so far, um, I'll encourage you to read Hebrews. I'd really study it for the next little bit because it's, it's an amazing book. There's so much in that and it's, it's really hard to preach on because we're so limited in time. Um, I'd love to keep you here all Sunday, but that's probably not practical and I'll probably have a right on my hands. But, um, yeah, I really encourage you to read it, um, study it and, and make sure what I'm saying is true as well. Test it for yourself as the Bible, um, tells us to, as, as we need to make sure what we've been taught is right and true and, and that we've been fed the right stuff. So I encourage you to study it and read it as we go through this series and, yeah, just enjoy it because Hebrews is, is one of those amazing chapters. So jumping straight into it. So I'm going to read the whole chapter of Hebrews 2. Um, so if you want to turn to it, feel free. I'll, um, I'll read it now. Therefore, we must pay closer, closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression and dis- transgression and disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape, escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to those who heard it. While God also bore witness to the signs and wonders of various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributing according to his will. For it was not by angels that God subjected the world to come, for which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honour, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for a little while made lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honour because of suffering of death, so that by grace, God, by grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he whom and who and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he sanctifies those who are sanctified. All have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I'll tell you, your name, my brothers, in the midst of the congregation, I'll sing your praise. And again, I'll put my trust in him. And again, behold, the children of God has given me. Since therefore the children of God shared in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing. And through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, the deliverer of all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Slavery. For surely it was not angels that he helped, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to, make, had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, 
to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself, he suffered, he was tempted, he was able to help those who were being tempted. So um, don't worry, it's, it's a fair chunk of scripture, but we're going to sort of recap and go back to it as we go through today's sermon. Um, so the, the main points of this chapter are sort of split in two parts. The first, first part is a warning against neglecting our salvation and the, the risks of drifting away from that salvation. Um, we see this in verse 1 to 5. Um, so that's the first part. And then in the second part, we see, we see um, the author going into talking about the founder of salvation, that perfect salvation. So reading through the first part, um, we, gain, we gain a warning about drifting and neglecting such a great salvation. We see the author bringing in two comparisons, one being less and, and then working up to a much greater and perfect salvation. The first being the old covenant, the law that was brought in by angels. But he says this was true and reliable, where we can get a warning from this. As we see in the Old Testament, there was strict and just punishment for every broken law. We gain the knowledge, as we read through the Old Testament, the things that happened to the Israelites while they were in the desert. And we see, even though the law, law was brought by God by angels, we still see there was very serious and very serious if it was broken. It was a reliable source from God. And it had very real consequences when broken and disobeying God. The author is getting at this first source, even though it's not perfect, it was still extremely reliable in what it was set out to achieve. And to neglect it would be severe punishment and even death. Then the author brings your attention of how much worse is it if we neglect the perfect salvation that came from Christ himself. We see the much greater side of the comparison is salvation brought through Christ, the Son of God. If the law brought to us through angels was reliable, then how much greater is the salvation brought to us through God's own Son, God himself? Because of this, it is infinitely greater than God's own truth brought to us by angels. As we looked at and saw in the last chapter, all parts of God's plan is complete through Christ. There is no phase three of the plan. Christ came and completed the mission. He completed it for good. Where in the Old Testament, every sin, every transgression against the law needed uh, needed to be covered with a sacrifice. It would be covered each time. But when Christ went to the cross, it is complete for all who believe in him. If this is true, how much worse are the consequences to refuse uh, refuse the Son? How much worse if we choose to neglect Christ, God himself? The word of God is very clear what happens if we neglect salvation, as, as is written in John three sixteen to 20. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, for whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that it might be saved for him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because of their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Least his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true and comes to the light so that it might be clearly seen his works have been carried out in God. For all those who believe are not condemned. But whoever rejects the Son of God is already condemned, as it's put in John. If the law was proved reliable through the through that was brought through the angels, and Christ is far superior than those angels, how much worse is the sin of rejecting God himself? 
if men in the Old Testament were not able to neglect the word of God that was received for the angels and is reliable and breaking the law received punishment, then how can we ever neglect the revelation of the salvation brought to us by the Son of God? For those who believe are saved through perfect salvation, but those who reject are condemned for eternity. We see that rejecting salvation is bad, but we are also warned in verse 1 about drifting away. So in verse 1 of Hebrews 2, I'll just read the verse again. It says, Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. We see a direct warning here about not whether we're saved or not, but about drifting away through life. This is a big issue. As we see here, that it says we must pay much closer attention, not just, hey, just pay attention to this as a quick side note, but we must pay close attention to it. It's pretty serious what the author's trying to stick down here about, about drifting away. He emphasises about sticking to the word, about, about God, in case we drift away from the word of salvation, away from Christ. Now, there's two main words in this verse. One, pay attention, and the other, drift away. So it's going to have to bear with me here for a little bit. Most people say pardon my French when they say something wrong, but I'm going to have to insist that you pardon my Greek a bit. Uh, it's not the best at the moment, but these two, <laughs> um, these two words are pretty important. So the word pay attention in, in that verse, we get from the Greek word prosheng, what literally means pay attention. And the word drift away comes from the word parun. Um if you like, I can give you the spelling of that word later and you can look it up um, and see how to pronounce it. It's, it's quite crazy how it's actually pronounced, so <laughs> I'll, I'll let you see how that's pronounced later. Um, but both these words, which are meaning in Greek, um, so parin, what is the word for drift, the meaning in Greek is used when something is flowing or slipping past. It can be used in many situations. So a few examples of it are like when you're eating tea and food goes down the wrong way, it's slipped down the wrong way. Or um, well, this is quite a personal case. Um, or when you're on an aeroplane on the way to your honeymoon and your ring slips off your finger, watch your take off and it rolls to the back of the plane. Um, it can also be used there. Um, or a topic slips into conversation by accident or someone has accidentally leaked documents to a press. It's that real slipping away um, sort of word. It's used in so many different situations, but regularly it's brought back to the meaning of something that is carelessly or thoughtlessly being allowed to be lost. So reading the verse, it's not warning us, it's not, sorry. So reading this verse, it's warning us not to allow salvation to be lost by thoughtlessness or carelessness as we drift through life. As life is busy, it is easy to neglect our salvation. It's easy to get caught up in the day-to-day things and not give it any thought. Before you know it, we're thoughtlessly or carelessly sort of neglecting what we're being told to serve. Without even realising it, we catch ourselves drifting away from the truth, from our salvation, that is Christ. And Christ that has given us the salvation for God's own son, who sacrificed himself to take away our sins. And in the end, if we don't keep it in check, we can actually drift away from our salvation. If we were saved in the beginning. For example, both these great words both have a nautical meaning as well. Once again, part of my Greek, but prosheen means to moor a ship and parin can be used for a ship that is carelessly allowed to slip past a harbour or to drift about because the captain's forgotten to take in accounts of tides and currents, a thoughtless and careless sort of move. gives us two pictures about this verse that we can see. One is that we need to be conscious about mooring ourselves to Christ, 
and to the word of Christ. We need to know where we stand with Christ and that we are saved through Christ. And with our lives more to our Saviour, then he will lead us through life. It's like a tugboat that guides a large tanker through a harbour. We need to be more to Christ to lead us through life. As the Bible puts it, the Lord is our shepherd. He guides us. Um, one of the, one of the, I've read a few scriptures about the Lord being the shepherd. Probably the most well-known one is Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Then we also see in John 10, starting in verse 11. This is Jesus himself talking. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is, high, who is a hired hand is not a shepherd who does not, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me, I know the father. And I lay down the life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they'll listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life and I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it back up. The charge I received from my father. We also see in this that the key, the key for Christ being our shepherd is that his sheep know his voice. Once again, we need to know the voice of, of our Father, of our, our Saviour. We need to be led by him. We need to be more to him. We need to be led by him and, and know his voice. As John ten twenty seven says, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe that the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. You do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and, know, and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So we see, see at the end of this first picture that how important it is that we know our Saviour's voice, that we know, allow him to lead us, to shepherd us, that we need to be more to him. We need to be um, like that first word, uh, protein, what means to be more to. So um, we need to allow ourselves to be more to Christ and allow our lives to be built on Christ and led through Christ. Um, the second picture of this verse, um, of the Greek words it gives us, is, is the boat drifting away carelessly gives us a picture that the boat is not going to survive the course. If, if you've ever seen a boat just drifting about because it's, it's broken, it's mooring or it's, it's off the anchor, it's, no one knows what's going to happen to it. It runs aground, it goes on a reef, it gets wrecked. And um, that's what happens when it's carelessly drifting. Even with a careless captain, what this verse is sort of warning us of, that we need to make sure that we're thoughtful and, and care in our salvation, not to be careless or thoughtless, allowing our salvation to drift. Because when something starts to drift or a careless captain that doesn't take account of tides or, or currents or anything like that, that boat will soon be washed up on rocks or reefs and never reach its destination that it was aimed for to begin with. Um, like our lives, if we're careless, not intentional with our salvation and don't build our relationship with Christ, then we're going to drift through life. We're going to get further and further away from him and closer and closer to the destruction. 
of where we're going to hurt someone or, or be washed up or not have not be saved at all and be staying condemned. This is a warning about drifting. It's not a light one as we see the, the words that the author uses. It's a pretty serious one that we need to make sure and that we're constantly checking our direction and constantly checking who we're more to and being led by. We need to make sure that we're not drifting through life aimlessly because as soon as we start drifting, it brings um, destruction. We need to allow ourselves to be more to Christ, not the world. The more we drift away, the colder we get, the colder we get to Christ. And the Bible's pretty clear what happens if we're not hot for Christ. And Revelation 3.16 says, So because you are lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold. I'll spit you out of my mouth. We need to stay hot for Christ and be burning for him and seeking him each and every day. So summing up the first few verses, we need to be aware of the risks of drifting away. We need to be conscious that there is a risk that we could drift and that we need to stay on, on course. We need to make sure that we're standing with God as we know that drifting away and rejecting and rebelling against God is rejecting his salvation and rejecting Christ himself. We need to um, stick, stick close to him. So C.S. Lewis quoted, I'm quoting C.S. Lewis here, he said a quote that says, we have to continually remind, be reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in our mind. It must be fed. And as a matter of fact, if you examine 100 people who lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have a reason, uh, to have a genuine reason and an honest argument. Do not most people simply just drift away? Thinking that that's, that's a massive warning that we need to be on it and we need to keep walking with Christ. The New Testament um, puts a Christian walk as a fight. It's a battle. It's not an easy thing. It's not when you come to Christ, everything's automatically easy. Um, as If you read from the New Testament, Paul constantly refers to the fight as, a, as striving forward, as a fight, as a struggle, as running the race. Christ himself even says we need to daily take up our cross. The Christian life was never promised to be an easy one, but what was promised is far more valuable than an easy life. Its worth is priceless. It's the victory of living a Christian life. It's the victory of running that race and being successful for that race and not drifting away. We have the promise of, of returning to be with him and in his presence. When things get hard, it's quite easy just to spit the dummy and say, well, blow that and just go your own way. But as, as they're wanting here, we need to push into Christ. We need to allow him to lead us through those things. We, now, we need to allow his word to be our comfort, his promises to be our comfort, and let him take us by the hand and lead us through the harbour to, to where he's leading us instead of just aimlessly drifting through life. So the next part of Hebrews, true, um, it talks about the, found, the founder of our salvation. So Hebrews 2, I'm going to read the next part. So Hebrews 2, 5 to 9. What it says, for it was not the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you might be mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You, might, you made him a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honour, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for a little while, made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honour because he is suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, we, he might taste death for everyone. 
So in, in these few verses, it's if you look at your Bible, and, and look, it's hard because we don't have the Bible up, I really encourage you to look at it, but you see that verse um, 6, 7, and 8 are actually a quotation from the Old Testament as we worked out the author of Hebrews likes to use the Old Testament to prove points and to help understanding. Um, so go back and have a look and see how chapter 2 is written, if you haven't already, and, and see what's quoted and, and what's written by the author. Um, so in these verses, um, the key to understanding this section is you need to go back to Psalm 8 and understand what Psalm 8 is saying with the, the code of verses. So I read Psalm 8. It says, O oh Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes um, to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you be mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You have given him dominion over the works of your hand and have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. The key to understanding this portion of scripture, like a lot of Hebrews, is that the author is using Old Testament references to help us understand what he is talking about. And this we need to understand is Psalm 8 and what it is saying and what it's talking about. So Psalm 8 is actually talking about us, humans. Psalm 8 talks about the creation. It talks about the glory that God has given to us before the fall. Psalm 8 does not talk about the Messiah, as a lot of people think, as as there's a quote in there that, refer, that is quite commonly referred to Christ, and that is the Son of Man. But in this instance, in verse 4, um, in, in verse 4 is talking to us um, about the Son of Man in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, quite often, the Son of Man literally meant simply the Son of Man. As we see evidence of this all through the Old Testament, eight times God refers to Ezekiel as the Son of Man. So when in Psalm 8, it says the Son of Man, it's talking about us. And then in the reference in Hebrews where he quotes Psalm 8, he's talking about us as God's creation. So verse 6 of Hebrews, um, he's quoting Psalm 8. We see two parallel quotes. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? What is two ways of saying the same thing? The psalm is a great lyric cry for how man was meant to be as God created, created them to be before the fall. The way God created us and how he's meant to be before sin was was to be created to have dominion over creatures and its status were, were created a little lower than God to rule the world. That's how it was meant to be before sin entered the world. Um, we see this in verse 5 to 8 in Hebrews. The verse in verse 8 echoes the command in Genesis 1.28 that God puts everything under the stewardship of Adam and Eve. We see how it's meant to be before sin, but when sin entered the world, we are now slaves to sin. We we're meant to be free with God, but now because of sin, we are slaves. We live in bondage due to that sin. What brings us into the next part of Hebrews 2, which is that we need Christ. We see that Christ came to bring salvation. We see in verse 8 and 9 of Hebrews 2 that Christ came, he suffered and died. Because he came and lived a perfect life to show us the way how to live, then he was sent to death. He suffered and died and is now crowned with glory and honour. So by God's grace, we 
He took away our sins and transgressions. He came to give us a way back to the Father. Everything we lost to sin, Christ came to rectify and cleanse, cleanse us of our sins. For all who believe in him and are saved from condemnation and to be re- reunited with God, to live free of sin and bondage once more and to save us from ourselves to the, all the glory and honour belongs to Christ. We see three things in this portion of scripture. The first being what man was meant to be um, before sin, how God created us. But the second being how we really are, how we've fallen back, stuck in slavery to sin, in bondage. And the third, that Christ came to reunite us with him. He shows us that through Christ's suffering and glory, that man can be what God created us to be, only through Christ and for those who believe in him. That brings us to the rest of Hebrews. So Hebrews 2, verse 9 to 18 says, But we see him We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honour because of suffering of death, so that by grace of God we might, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he from whom and by whom all things exist, bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering, for he sanctifies those who are sanctified, all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell you the name, my brothers, in the midst of the congregation I'll sing your praises. And again, I'll put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God have given me. Since therefore children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing that through death he might destroy the, the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and, the del- and deliver all those who fear of death were, were subject to a lifelong slavery. For surely it was not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he may, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. We see in verse 10 that Christ is the founder of salvation. He is the source of all good and perfect things. To be the founder of something means that you've had to put the hard work in. You've had to gain something or create a blueprint to something. You have to be successful for others to follow. For us, Christ is the founder of salvation. He is the only way to be saved. He is the founder. He put together the way for us to get back to the Father. As Christ suffered and did all the hard work, he took the punishment that we deserve and found it a way for us to be saved from our sins. He's the way, the truth, and the light. As it says in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way back to the Father to be saved is through Christ, the founder of salvation. Verse 10 also talks about that he's the founder of salvation, perfect through suffering. What the author of Hebrews is saying here is that through suffering, Jesus is made fully able for the task to be the founder of salvation. That through suffering, he was able to identify with men. And we see here again in chapter 2 quotes from the Old Testament. Um, the author quotes Psalm 22:22, Isaiah 8:18, and Isaiah 8:17. All these texts forecast for his identity with men. But if Jesus had come into the world in a way in which he never suffered, he was never challenged with day-to-day living, 
then how then you'd be quite different to us. It'd be hard to set an example for us to live by. Um, a guy called Jeremy Taylor puts it this way: When God would save men, He did it in the way of man, so that through suffering, Jesus identified Himself with us, and through this identity that Jesus sympathizes with us. As we know from experience in life, it's impossible to truly sympathize with someone in a meaningful level if you've never faced the same opposition that person has faced or is going through. Um, As Christ came, he was fully man and fully God. He's gone through everything that we face. And it says in verse 17 of Hebrews 2, he had to be made like, like his brothers in every respect so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Christ has gone through everything we struggle through. He's tempted as we are tempted. He's suffered as we suffer. He was persecuted as do we. But the difference is Christ never failed. He never fell into the bondage of sin. He came and lived a perfect life facing all the struggles we do and he succeeded. He suffered on the cross to bring us back to what God has created us to be free. Christ died for us. He is our mediator. Through Christ we are set free. And the, chains of bo- and the chains of bondage are broken. And it sums up in Hebrews with one amazing word and a concept. And I know from um, know for a fact that this is John Gould's, one of his favourite words, um, propitiation. What, mean, what means in summary, the removal of God's wrath against sinners by the death of Jesus, who was fully God and fully man. It is an atonement that Christ made for us. He has taken away our transgressions. He has made... A way for the, made a way to the Father. He's turned God's wrath away from us and took it on himself on the cross. He's taken the punishment that we deserve and taken it on himself. He's taken our place for our sins. He took the punishment and the wrath that we so justly deserve. This is probably the most amazing and meaningful word and the action that can be used for the sacrifice Christ has done for us. There's a whole series of preachers you can just do on this one word and the meaning of it, what I'd love to do. But once again, we'd, we'd probably be here four years if I dive into that word for how long I want to. But um, just a few few more scriptures. It says, Christ's death, crown, Christ's death, death crowns his atoning suffering that um, propitiates God's wrath against us. Romans 3, 24, 25 says, and are justified by the grace as a gift through redemption that is uh, Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by the Father, received by faith. This was shown, This shows God's righteousness because he is divine forbearance. He had passed over for former sins. In Romans 5, 6-9, For while we were still weak, and at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one who sacredly died for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him and the wrath of God. Saved by him from the wrath of God. As as much as I'd love to keep preaching on this, I need to wind it up. Uh, We might dive into it a bit further in the the next preach um, because there's so much to preach on through that. Um, so just in summary, what we're seeing today is like we need to be careful that we don't drift away. We need to constantly check ourselves and 
and to be make sure that we're more to Christ and that we're we're building our lives on the right things and not drifting away from our, from salvation. We need to rely on Christ, who is the founder and the the ultimate um, savior for our sins. He's he's taken he's turned God's wrath away from us for those who believe and taken it on Himself. What in concept is an um, unbelievable thing, and how much love that God loves us with. So just pray and and we'll wrap it up. So Father, we thank you so much for sending your Son Jesus. We thank you that you went to that cross, you took our sins, you took our punishment that we so justly deserve and, and took it on, on yourself. And we thank you that you've created a way for us to come back to the Father. We thank you for all those who believe in you are not condemned, but they are saved. Father, we, we thank you for your grace. And Jesus, we pray that you continue to lead us. Help us not to drift away from your truth and your word, but help us to dive into that, Lord. And would you lead our lives and steer us, Lord, through through this life, Lord, what's not easy, Lord, and help us to run the good race and 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 um, as we look forward to, to times with you, Lord. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.